Acts chapter 18. Yeah, we are in 19. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We're going to be reading through Scripture. I'd love for you to put your eyeballs on it. And so get a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, take this one home with you if you want it. We're going to discuss stewardship. You are a steward. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are a steward of Jesus. That you have been entrusted with someone else's stuff. It's a very theological term. Stuff. You've been entrusted with it. And I want to connect it to Acts. I think it's a good illustration in Acts chapter 18. Let's pray. Jesus, have your way. This is your church. This is your time. These are your people. And so we ask by the power of your spirit, you would work in and through. And as we sit underneath the authority and the beauty of your word, that you would speak. As we're exposed to truth that is so powerful, life-changing, would you do that work in us? We trust you, Lord. We ask for you to have your way among your people this morning. Amen. This is in verse uh, 26, Acts chapter 18, 26. It says, so he, the he is Apollos, began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. That is a picture of stewardship. Who is telling Aquila and Priscilla to do this? I would posit to you, it's the Lord is speaking to them, moving on their hearts to do this. Paul isn't there. If you remember, we did this two weeks ago. They've separated now. Paul and his crew are gone. Aquila and Priscilla have been left behind. They're in Ephesus. And they're hanging out in the synagogue because that's what Paul did. And so I believe Paul poured that or discipled that into them. And so then they went and hung out in the synagogue. In doing so, they're sitting back and they hear Apollos. And he had true knowledge of Jesus. But it was incomplete. So he was saying things that were true. He wasn't saying things that were wrong. It was just incomplete. Aquila and Priscilla, being good stewards of Jesus Christ, pulled him aside and said, hey, man, let me explain to you more accurately the things that have gone on. They were walking as stewards. They could have gone out to eat after the synagogue and been like, ah, no. But no, they said, my time is not my own. It's the Lord's time. And they took him aside And they did something about it. And as you look through the book of Acts, I think and I hope that after even today, you'll see that as Paul walks, Luke, Silas, Timothy, as we watch them throughout Scripture, you're going to see men and women who are walking as stewards. God has given them something, and now they're entrusted, and now they're going to walk it out, like make disciples. We've been entrusted with a command to do just that go and make disciples. So I want to be a good steward. We're going to talk about what that means. Um, For those of you who are cultured and deep in theology, there's a really cool movie out there called Nacho Libre. And among many other deep truths that come from it, there's there's a scene where Nacho is going to go grab some chips for the orphans. And as he's doing so, just trying to be a good steward of God, this crazy homeless guy attacks him. His name was Escalito. He jumps on him, or he takes the chips, and then a a fight ensues where Nacho is trying to be a good steward. And he ends up failing, ultimately. And he goes back to the orphanage, and his supervisor asked him a really good question. 
He said, did you not tell them they were the Lord's chips? They're the Lord's chips. Oh, they put a picture on there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's awesome. It's the same one I have. I wasn't going to show it, though. <laughs> Y'all are great. We got to bet who's back there, man. That's good stuff. All right. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Matt. Did you not tell them they were the Lord's chips? Now, this is a deep and profound question. It actually is, because think about this for a second. I don't know how serious he was, okay, <laughs> but he probably just wants a snack. But consider the truth of that, that from the carpet here in this church to the doors, the windows, the people that walk in, they're the Lord's. Every bit of it, these chairs, guess what? They're the Lord's chairs. And this microphone is the Lord's microphone. This building and the roof, it's the Lord's. The hallways are the Lord's. The parking lot's the Lord's. The 100 acres, guess who owns it? It's the Lord's, right? It's the Lord's. Did you not tell them they were the Lord's chips? Nacho is trying to steward it. He failed, and he needs to be practicing some more wrestling. But I think that there's something profound about that. I want you to consider it. Even down to the Lord's chips, like, that's serious. Like when we serve donuts, you guys, it's the Lord's, and how we handle that is serious because we're stewards of the King of Kings. And I believe that means something really important. And I just want to talk to you. I want to, I want to expose you to some truth that we find in Scripture of concerning what it means to be a steward. And as we, this evening at five, are going to explain to you how we are stewarding God's resources and God's property and God's people, I want to encourage you, man, it doesn't, it's not just for us. Like, you are a steward of God's resources, God's property, and God's people. You are. So some of this might feel a little heavy, but it might not, actually. I just want you to know, like, this is good, and I want you to be encouraged by it. The absolutely challenge, and I hope you find some conviction there as well, but also it all is about Jesus, and we'll get to that, okay? Basic principles of stewardship. We'll go through four of them real fast. None of them profound, but hopefully they all hit you and impact you in a way that maybe they haven't before. The first one, he owns it all. We just kind of went through it. He owns it all. A Psalm of David, the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. The earth is the Lord's. Wherever you put your foot, it's his. Psalm 89 says, the heavens are yours. So we're including that now. The earth also is yours, the world and all of its fullness, because you founded them. He is the great creator God who made it. Wherever you go, whoever you talk to, Whatever you breathe in, whatever you sense and smell and see and hear, it's his. He owns it. He owns it all. He's the king. We can't forget this because if I think that something's mine, well, here's what's up. Then I become wrong. <laughs> so you can actually choose to believe this or not. Do you believe and do you walk like he owns it all? Right? Now, listen, that's rhetorical because I hear that question and I squirm in and of myself. Like, oh man, I just don't oftentimes or often enough like live in this world. This is why like I love being exposed to truth. That's why God's word is so powerful. It exposes us to the reality of things where I might be missing out on it 
Or I just might be doing my thing and forgetting, oh my gosh, God owns it all. What am I doing acting like I get to run things or I get to do things? Hopefully we can correct some of that and that God would speak to you guys as is appropriate. Excuse me. It's all his. You can believe it. You cannot believe it. But just so you know, no matter what you do, it's still true, okay? It's true that he owns it all. And I'll tell you what, we'll find out soon enough when he comes back and every knee bows and every tongue confesses that he is Lord. We'll find out, but we got work to do before then, okay? All right, the second thing, that includes you. God owns it all, and that includes you. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. This is Paul speaking. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. When he says the life that I now live in the flesh, he's not meaning the the carnal life, because sometimes he does mean that. That if you live a life in the flesh, it means that you're living according to the dictates of your own heart and wickedness and rebellion therein. That's not what Paul's referring to. He's simply saying the life that I live in the flesh is like just this thing right here. It's called a body. This thing, I'm living my life right now. That's you guys. The life that you're living right now, you're living by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We've been bought. We're his. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Don't forget it that he owns it all, and that includes you. Your life is his. We we saw this last week. I'm going to bring it up again. I just can't avoid it. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 and 20. <clears throat> he says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You were bought at a price, redemption. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We have the incredible privilege of not only being the Lord's, but being able to offer him a sacrifice of praise by living for him. He's worthy of it. He's done the work. I'm so thankful for that. But you are not your own. You're a steward. And so the body that you have and the life that you live, just in case you were wondering, is not yours. It's his. And he's the king, and he gets what he wants. (laughs) He gets what he wants. And so I want to encourage you guys. So you're confronted with truth, perhaps, and you're like, <clears throat> you probably all know this, but what do you do about it? <laughs> probably here, if you're anything like me, you would repent. <laughs> like, Lord, I, I don't live as I ought, as often as I ought. And so, oh man, Lord, forgive me. And, and go to him, ask for help. We'll get to the, like the beauty of his resources here in a second. But just so you know, it includes you. And so if you think that your life is yours, well, you're in contradiction to God's word. And so adjust your understanding to his. His reality is the only one that matters. And he said you're not your own. <laughs> so it just simply means you're not your own. And can I say together, like, well, let's live like it, like we're his, right? Okay, Lord, help us. So we're crying out, Lord Jesus, help us. So the first one, it's all his everything. Second one, that includes me. The third one, principles of the steward, is be faithful. 1 Corinthians 4, 2, moreover, it is required in stewards to be found faithful. What's a steward have? 
He has that which isn't his, someone else's. Parable of talents. Master gave the talents. Those talents weren't the stewards. I then have those and I want to take care of them. They're precious because my master's precious. I love him. Don't forget he's a good master. He's a good one. And he's asking us to be faithful. No, before everybody freaks out, the Lord is so good and gracious. All right? And he's calling us to himself. That's the fourth one. We'll get to it. But for now, be faithful. And I want this truth to hit you. From the concordance, what does it mean to be faithful? It means to be trustworthy. And now I want you to consider who you are at work, whether you're an employer or an employee, your home. Are you a trustworthy human being? That if somebody asks something of you, will you do it and will you do a good job of it? It really does speak a lot to who you are as a person. We're trying to, we raise our kids like this. Like even though it's your room being clean or it's the bathrooms getting cleaned or the yard being mowed, like it demonstrates or shows who you are as a person as far as your character is concerned. But also even more than that, it demonstrates like I'm a follower of Christ and I want him to be exalted and seen in and through the way I live. All right, Lord, help me be faithful when I'm at work. You guys know this stuff. Are you trustworthy? What it means is of persons who show themselves faithful in the transaction of business. And when people extend and give you something to do, they'll know what's going to get taken care of and they know what's going to be done well. Why? Because you're trustworthy and you're faithful. And did you know that God desires the same thing of you? That if he asks like, hey, go and make disciples, that we would take that and steward that well. When he says, go and preach the gospel, that we would take that and steward that well. When he asks us to teach the word, to be ready in season and out of season, we take that and I would steward that well. When I'm supposed to love my wife, I would take that and steward that well. So we got, God, help me, please. It's the execution of commands or the discharge of official duties. One who has kept his faith, even though it's been difficult. Worthy of trust, someone who can be relied upon. And then interestingly enough, there was another definition or like an, another way of expounding on it. It says easily persuaded. Ah, oh, man, that's so cool because there's a lot of truth to that. Be faithful also means to be easily persuaded and consider what that might mean. If I ask my kids to put food in the dog bowl, because I'm not going to. I'm just going to be honest with you. It's not my dog. <laughs> I didn't ask for him. I do like him. He's a good dog. But he's not my dog. And so he asked them to do this. And there's occasions where I will get some like whininess. Like it's the hardest thing on earth to do. To walk 10 feet and then set it down. Like give me a break kids. Easily persuaded though. Means that you ask something of someone. And you don't have to go into the ins and the outs of why. I just need it to be done. And the answer is, okay. Isn't that sweet when you got your kids who will just, hey, can you please go do this? And they say, yep, <laughs> this is good news. This is great. Way to go. I see you growing and maturing. We want that. We want to see that in our kids, but also ourselves as we're growing in our walk with the Lord, that we hear his voice, say, hey, would you go? And then we would say what? Whatever you say, Lord, I'll do it. I want to be easily persuaded when it comes to the things of the Lord. 
Whatever the spirit might say, I don't want to need a, I don't want to have to need a huge explanation as to why. I don't want to sit there and say, God, I don't think that you got that one right. I don't think they're going to listen to me. Do you know what they were saying last week? Or I heard them do this or heard them do that, or that's going to look foolish. No, no. Be easily persuaded. It's hand in hand with faithfulness. That God would speak to you and you would just say, right on, Lord. We'll get to more of that later. So he owns it all. That includes you. He asks us to be faithful. But here's the best part of it all is you can't do it. He has to do it in and through you. This is where you get to rest, okay? So you might have been feeling this, oh, I want to be faithful. I want to follow the Lord. But you can't in and of yourself. You need someone else. The fourth one is he has made it all possible. He has thanks to the gospel, really. He has made a way possible for us, listen to this, for you guys to follow him and be a good steward. So let's look at Romans chapter 6. What a powerful section of scripture, and we're going to jump right into the meat of it. You'll know these scriptures, but I hope that within the context of this morning concerning stewardship, that you might just see it a little bit differently than you have before, and the power of the gospel and the power of the work of Jesus on the cross, that he has set you free. For those of you who are not in Christ, you haven't been set free. You are still walking according to the dictates of your own heart, and you know it's not right, and you're crying out, like, I don't want to live this way, but I can't help it. Oh, you need Jesus. You need someone to rescue you from yourself. Jesus has done it. Let's read it, because the Bible says it way better than I ever could. What then? This is verse 15. Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Paul says, certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves to whom you obey, whether sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness? And what he is explaining is simple as this. If you say, I'm going to serve my flesh, you are a slave to your flesh. Apart from Jesus, there is no hope. There are not enough meetings you could go to. There's not enough books you could read to scrub that wicked heart clean. You need Jesus. You can cry out to him even now, and he will save you, and he'll free you from yourself. You can actually be one because you have been set free to say, God, here I am. Whoever you present yourself to, and don't you dare think that you're free from being a slave of something. Something will rule you. Someone will rule you. The nation of Israel ran into this as they're being set free from Egypt. They realized that they weren't just free to do whatever they wanted. That would have been destructive. They would have gone really poorly as we see throughout the rest of scripture. But they were now free to worship God and to follow him. Freedom from sin and the bondage that are in allows us to worship and follow after God. No longer am I stuck in Egypt. I have a promised land. Well, he goes on, verse 17, but God be thanked that though you were, notice the tense, it's past tense. Those of you in Jesus Christ right now, this is you. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, Yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine or the teaching to which you were delivered. The gospel, you've listened to it. Jesus came, died on the cross, rose again three days later. Put your faith in the work of the cross. 
He took your sin, you get his righteousness. You're a new creation. You've believed that. Verse 18, and having been set free from sin. You guys read that? Having been, it's past tense, it's already happened. You've been set free. Remember how you were a new creation? You've been set free from sin and now you're slaves of righteousness. Now you get to do the things that God has asked of you. That's stewardship. God has said, hey, walk this way, my son, my daughter. And you can say, okay. Whereas before, the best you can do is, I want to. Help me, you cry out. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Oh, Jesus, help. But you have been in Christ, man. You've been set free from sin and you become slaves of righteousness. And please know this. There are only two options, righteousness or sin. That's the only option you get in this world. That is the reality that God has revealed to us. You can pretend there's others. Just know this, you're wrong, okay? Look at verse 19. So now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. What's he saying? Before you knew the Lord, your hands were used in ways that were nefarious. So the way you spoke was messed up. The way you thought was twisted. And then Jesus comes and he revives your life. He, you're born again. You're a new creation. And you go to wherever you were. I remember it the day that I was born again. I go to school and it's like, I can't say those words anymore. I can't think those twisted thoughts about them or whatever else it might be. Like, I remember it. Those things are continuing. God is he's, right, he's continuing to make us new. That the things that we used to walk in, the stupid things that used to come out of my mouth, believe me, I'm not perfect, but I have grown some. But God redeems to think that there could be an opportunity for this mouth that used to say crazy stuff, but now it can teach the word of God. Like that's the power of the gospel to change a person's life. My wife knew me before Jesus. Cy Gill knew me before Jesus. I hid it from my parents. Sorry, mom and dad, they're over there. <laughs> I hid it from them really well, but I didn't follow Jesus. But he redeems, doesn't he? Each and every one of you get, have an opportunity and a chance in Christ to take your hands, your mind, your thoughts, your eyes, and now God can use it. That's exciting, you guys. He can redeem all that was lost. He'll, he'll bring it back. All those mistakes, now nah, Jesus will take care of it. Let him offer him your life. Let him use you. Be a good steward. And if you didn't believe me, we've got this. Oh, you know what? Let me finish this. Verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin... You were free in regard to righteousness, meaning you didn't even worry about it because all you could worry about is, is sin. What fruit did you have in the things of which you're now ashamed? When you were living that life apart from Christ, and some of you are in it now, you're living that life and it's like just roadblock and life is hard, it's difficult, it's destruction, it's death. Where's the fruit in your life? And he's saying there's no fruit the end of it is death, but now, having been set free from sin, praise God, and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness. This comes out of your life now. Holiness, and then the end, well, guess what we get? Everlasting life. We get to be with him forever. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the work that God has done. Peter talks about it, 2 Peter chapter 1, 1 through 3. 
He says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of the Lord Jesus, sorry, and of Jesus our Lord. Look at verse three. As his divine power has given to us all things, you guys know what all means, all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That means that he has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's given, what are you, he's given them to us. Guess where they're found? Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. You want to know where to find these? Where do you find the treasures that God has given you? In Jesus. Where do you run to? Him, a person, Jesus. Well, what's that look like? Man, you hang out in his word. You spend time soaking it up. I want to know you more, Lord. Reveal to me these beautiful things that you've given me. Think about Ephesians and all the beauty and the riches that we've been given and that we have in Christ. It's in him, the person of Jesus Christ, not in a theological statement or a doctrine. It's a person. It's Jesus. That's where we find these things. And so if you find yourself struggling with, I want to be a steward, but I'm wrestling with these things, guess what you need to do? You need to hang out with the Lord and go to him and rest in him. Enjoy that time with him. He's the one who has all of it, and he just wants us to come to him. Go to him. Learn what it means to enjoy him, to spend that time in prayer, to spend that time in the word, to be together, fellowshiping like this. What the early church did, word, fellowship, and prayer. Okay, those were four things as far as stewardship goes. I want to take a moment, it won't be a long one, to consider stewarding our lives in the fear of God. My wife has been studying through for the women's Bible study that's on uh, Monday nights. And if you haven't, you, you can still come, ladies, just so you know. But she's rolling through First Peter, and she was just chatting through some things, and it was really, really insightful because my wife is. But just some beautiful insights, and I'm like, man, that's right where we are in, in First Peter, this idea of be holy because he is holy. In Old Testament times, check it out. You guys can imagine this, I bet, that the cost of sin was probably felt in a way that we don't get today. Well, why is that? Do you remember in Old Testament times, if I sinned or, or against the Lord, I had to take an animal that was alive, let's just say it was a lamb, and I would bring it to the priests, and what they would do is you would put your hand on its head, and he would slit the throat of the lamb, and the lamb would die, okay? And so you're watching life be bled out, because, because why? Because you have sinned. And so there was a cost that you actually could see. We don't see that necessarily and in this day and age, right, of course there's a cost. We have been saved by the blood of Jesus, way better than the blood of bulls and goats, but by the precious blood of Jesus. We're going to read it in a second. That's what we have. But just imagine what it would have done, how it would have, how it would have impacted you to realize that, that sin separates and causes death. That's what Romans was explaining. It causes death. And so what do you do? You see the holiness of God and how I can't approach him because of my sin, but Jesus has come. And so effective and so thoroughly cleansing is the blood of Jesus that you can now be the temple of God. He will come and dwell within you and make his home within you. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, three through, or 13 through 16. And it explains to us this beautiful truth. And I just think it's so important, you guys, to put your eyeballs on his word. That way you know it's not something I'm making up. 
But this is the beauty of his word. We sit under the authority of God's word. <clears throat> so 1 Peter chapter 1, 13 through 16, it says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now here, what does it mean to, <clears throat> excuse me, to gird up the loins of your mind? What an awkward phrase. Imagine you're just like getting ready, like, somebody's running at you and you're bracing yourself for impact, right? Or you're getting ready to start some kind of a wrestling match or you're getting ready to grapple and you're girding up the loins of your body or something, right? And you're just like getting ready for it. You're bracing yourself. You're sober. You're not looking around. Oh, hey, what's up? As this person's coming, you're like locked in and you're ready to go. Whatever that go might be, you're ready. That's what Peter's trying to say. Get ready, you guys. Sober up, get your mind set on Christ. And what's he say? And then rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's what I think this looks like. We're bracing ourselves for like crazy battle and then we're supposed to just like sit down and rest. <laughs> it's like, it's all ready. And then Jesus is like, no man, just rest. I'll take care of it. And so you get to just sit back and oh, you get to enjoy relationship with Jesus. He says, be holy. We'll look at it. You do this as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, because who has time for that? That's the old life. You're done with that. But as he who called you is holy, that's a description of his character and who God is. He's holy. He's different altogether, set apart. He is holy. You also be holy in all of your conduct, the way that you live your life. Hey, this is stewardship, you guys. This is God delivering to us his idea of what stewardship looks like. He wants us to be described as holy. And if you'll allow me to point it out, you also be holy, it says it like this, in all of your conduct. Not just the conduct that people see out in public or not just your church face. Ah, oh, man, what about when you go home, when you're by yourself, when you're doing whatever, when you're having that argument with your wife and it's like, ah, oh, I am not being, I'm not being different than the world. I'm, I'm going back to the former ways I used to do things. God, help me repent. Lord, help me. He's holy. And I want to walk like he has helped me, Lord. Okay, remember that God dwells within. Let's look at that in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Turn in your Bibles to that and see what you guys think about this. We're going to connect these scriptures and hopefully it makes sense and paints a picture of what stewardship looks like and what God is asking of you in the most appropriate way possible. Your life is his. What do I do about that? The ins and the outs at work, at home, your leisure time, it's his, man, all of it. I'm convicted by that, you guys. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we're going to read, starting in verse 16, and then we'll read chapter 7, verse 1. It says, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? You could actually say, what agreement do you have with idols? What are you doing, right? For you are the temple of the living God. Look what God has said. I will dwell with them. I will walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. What incredible promises we have. This is what God has done. And again, if, if you let me, like, look how powerful Jesus' blood is that God can dwell within now, so thoroughly cleansing us. 
He says, because of that, come out from among them. Come out from among the world. You don't have to live like this anymore. Be stewards of God. Be separate, says the Lord. That's like the idea of holiness. Be holy, says the Lord. Don't touch what is unclean. I'll receive you. I'll be a father to you. And you will be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Because of all of that, having these promises, beloved, cleanse ourselves from the filthiness. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. God has asked for these things right here. Well, how do I cleanse myself? Oh, you guys, go to Jesus. He has ultimately done it. He sees you holy, blameless, and above reproach in his sight because of the work of Jesus. The righteousness of Christ has become yours. You have it. Praise God for it. But then as we're living this life out, what I heard is in John that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. What does he ask? That we would confess to him. Lord, oh man, I missed that one. I've sinned when I talked to my wife like that, when I did that to my kids, whatever it might have been. He says, let's work these things out that as you live out in this world, that the world says, oh my gosh, that's somebody different. Y'all must be Jesus followers. Why do you live that way? Why do you live different? Because I want to live a holy life. I won't go into it because time's short now, but 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, deal with this in such a beautiful way. It's very similar words being used as far as the Greeks concerned with holiness. It says, this is the will of God, your sanctification, your holiness, your set-apartness that you would abstain specifically here from sexual immorality and that you would know how to possess your own body with sanctification and honor, not like the Gentiles who lust after things, but you would know how to live your life. You have it all. God has done it. He set you free, remember? Having been set free from sin, you can live now for him. It's a matter of walking in it. Believe it. He's done this work. Turn to him that we would desire or described as holy because he is. Okay, let's finish it up with this. Let us pretend or say that you want to become steward of the year and you're just fired up like, Jesus, I want you. I want to live for you. My life is not my own and I recognize I've been living selfishly, but I need you, Jesus. I hear that. I feel that, man, I'm telling you. I want to be steward of the year. I want my face to be on a plaque somewhere up in heaven. I don't know, something like that. What do I got to (laughs) do? Okay, here we go. What is it that I do? Just two quick things, and we're out of here. Number one, learn to abide. I don't think that there is a single thing more important than that, to know him, enjoy him. John 15, four through five, abide in me. That's what Jesus says. Abide in me. What does it mean to abide? It means like to stay right there. Like that's your home. That's the place where you go and rest. That's the spot you stay in Jesus. He says, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. If you guys want to be the steward of the year, then get to know (laughs) the faithful God who is Jesus. Enjoy him, hang out with him. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and and I in him bears much fruit. He says, for without me, without Jesus, you can do nothing. This is so exciting, you guys. Let me put it to you like this. I don't have to take a test and pass it in order to bear fruit. I don't have to run a mile at a certain time in order to bear fruit. I don't have to be in the top percentile of whatever it is in order to bear fruit. What does it say? I, wanna, I need to know him and enjoy him and be with him. 
I get to spend time in his word and get to know him. I get to spend time in prayer. I get to spend time with you guys and be encouraged and built up into faith. That's what I get, and I know him because of it. I get to know him. It's a person, you guys. Not a religion. It's a person. Is theology vital? You better believe it is, you guys. Come on. Is it good to know and study? We have a Bible college and university here. Please don't hear me saying something I'm not. The essence of it all is him. You guys know this. We were watching a video that says Jesus is not an academic subject. It's a, he's a person. I want him. So hold fast to that, the person of Jesus Christ. It's also said like this in 1 Corinthians 1.9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ. God has beckoned you as a steward. Your life is not your own to know Jesus. That's coining me a deep and intimate fellowship with him. If you walk out of these doors doing anything, do this, abide in him. Learn to abide in him. I said learn specifically, like it is a thing where you learn to abide in him. Last thing, abide yourself into the habit of obeying right away. Abide yourself into the habit of obeying right away. It's all a work of God. Please know that. It really is. But there comes a point in time where like I have to make a decision. Will I do what the flesh desires or will I follow after him? I want to abide myself into abiding and making those decisions. Sorry, obeying him. The school, we heard it, I think here it says obey right away. It's what you tell your kids because it rhymes. Obey right away. I want that. Remember how we talked about being easily persuaded? That's a matter of being faithful. I want to obey right away. When the Spirit says this, I say, okay. Whatever he says is whatever I do. Guys, this is ideal. I get it. These are high standards, but guess what? You're following after the king. He's worthy of it. He really is. And so this isn't to be something where you walk away feeling loaded down, like, oh, there's just no way. No, this should be something where you run to Jesus. And like when you wake up tomorrow morning and you hang out with the Lord, you're like, yes, Jesus, help me to be a steward. You're like, my life is yours. Like, give it to him. Tell him it's his, you know. Enjoy that time with him. He desires that. Whatever he says is whatever you do. Right, yeah, Lord, make that true in my life. Like, I want that. My heart's there, Lord. Just help me to walk it out. And he will, as time progresses, man, he'll make you more like him. Let him do the work. Give him the opportunity. Position yourself. He owns it all. That includes you. Be faithful. The only way you can do that is through abiding in him. In the fear of God, don't forget that it is so important that we would be holy because he's holy. Don't forget that. Abide in him and abide yourself into the habit of obedience. Take an inventory, consider it. I've got to be done. <laughs> Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we need some help. I do at least. And uh, This world is like crazy, and we need help following you, making disciples who make disciples. We ask that you would pour your spirit out and you would enable us to do the work that you've called us to. We cannot do it in and of ourselves, and so we, we fall upon and cry out for your mercy and your grace in our own lives. Would you help us to be stewards who steward your resources well? You've asked and you've given us so much. What a privilege it is to serve you, Jesus. It's so incredible that you would invite us to be a part of the work that you're doing. Thank you for that. Help us. Horizon Indy and the, the church at large here in Indianapolis, throughout the world, 
We cry out to you, Lord Jesus, move among us. By the power of your spirit, you would enable us to do things we could never otherwise do in our own selves. Teach us to abide in you. Thank you for this time. We thank you for your word and the truth that's there. Let it penetrate our hearts and do something to us. We look to you and ask for all that in Jesus' name. Amen.